This is Forward Leadership, a podcast talking about sales excellence with sales leaders, with your host, George Mustakelis. Brought to you by Bonafide. Hey, this is George Mustakelis with the Forward Leadership Podcast. Today, I have our guest, Mike Hook, on the line, and he leads a global sales team across Australia and the United States for childcare CRM. Mike, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing good. How about yourself? All is good. I'm excited to have you on and talk a little bit about some sales leadership and the changing landscape we have here. To provide our guests a little bit of background, Childcare CRM, they provide a comprehensive web-based customer relationship management and marketing system and enrollment form software solution specifically designed for the childcare industry. So to kind of dive straight into the topic today, virtual sales, virtual coaching, I have this little stat here that I've read from a recent study, Mike. I didn't share this with you prior. What I read was 40% of Americans prefer to work from home full-time compared to 35% who seek a home office hybrid. What are your thoughts on this? So I think that people are comfortable at home. And I think people forget about what it was like to work from the office. There's another study, some more stats from Adam Grant. And what that study says is surveying over 10,000 different software sellers that the amount of time they work in terms of hours has increased 30%. But the productivity in the work they've done has decreased 20%. So people are working longer hours and getting less done. So regardless of whether people prefer to work from home or not, I think that people have become so comfortable at home and it's easy to work from home and there's no oversight working from home. And there's a lot of different factors that go into that too, including a commute, things of that nature. It's not an easy answer, but I think that when you talk about remote work, where it's headed, where it came from and where we're at right now, You can have stats say anything that you want them to say. I think it's a really complicated, really complicated topic. What are you excited about getting everyone back into the office, whether it be a hybrid model or full-time model? Yeah, so I, I can't wait. I've actually, so my company has decided to do like an optional work from home, work from the office, come in as you please. I'm in five days a week, like I'm back in. For me, that's a good thing. I would say the thing that I'm the most excited about to have people come back in the office is the buzz. And it's not just the buzz in sales. It's when you have sellers on the phone all the time, they feed off each other's energy. When you have customer success and implementation all working together towards a goal and you can feel the conversations, you can hear the conversations, you can see everybody else really giving 100% of their effort that energy builds on top of itself. And so getting that back, it means we'll move faster as a company. We'll hear what's going on in our industry in real time across the whole organization. Nothing will be siloed anymore. People, and I think by nature, written words can sometimes be taken really poorly. And I think I think that sometimes people forget that on the other end of a Slack or a text or an email is another human being. So I'm excited for, you know, everyone to come back together in the office and really, you know, really feel 
what their coworkers are feeling, right? Really be able to say, hey, you know, George sold the deal. And yeah, this one's a little bit difficult to implement, but I'm not going to yell or hold this against George. He's out here trying his best or vice versa. I sold this perfect deal and implementation is taking forever to reach out. What's going on? Well, if you see that implementation person on the phone all day long, it's like, oh, they're working really hard. So it's, it's breaking down that kind of barrier, bringing people together, the development of not only my team, but all of the teams in the company. And then at the end of the day, not being on Zoom anymore, not having to schedule meetings for everything anymore. So it's not just one thing I'm excited for. I think it's, it's a combination of being able to work with people for a good cause, develop and grow my team members, the company, and really just get that energy back. That is so hard to get when you're remote and everybody is spending all day at home. Yeah. You mentioned things like buzz and that makes me think of defining and maintaining that company culture. And I feel like what's kind of lost is people forget there's this natural inclination for us to be tribal, to work on a team, to interact, to collaborate. And especially important when you have a growing team is some, a lot of people learn from others. We, we learn not only from our mistakes, but we learn from other people's mistakes, their wins. So the social learning aspect, um, I, I've, I found it to be really efficient uh, being able to share experience with others. So I'm kind of curious with this shift to virtual these, this past year or so, what does that virtual coaching experience look like to you? It's, it's very hard to do group coaching, right? So when you do larger group trainings, it's hard because people are not as engaged. It's very easy for them to lose attention. I think when you talk about the group setting, that that's been a little bit more difficult to run those type of training sessions and to get people engaged and involved and you know, know when to speak versus when to be silent or risk speaking over somebody or honestly, maybe being really good at zoning out and split screening and having Zoom on one screen and something totally different on another screen. So the, the group aspect of it has been a little bit more difficult just because it's harder to get a group engaged over Zoom uh, for all those reasons and many other. I think from a one-on-one -on -one standpoint in coaching, you know, the way that I've structured our weeks for the team is I've got a one-on-one -on -one with my sellers every single week. We've got a broader team meeting every single week. And then we do our stand-ups. Monday, Wednesday, Friday in the morning. So, you know, for the stand-ups, this is all, you know, making sure that the team feels good. We're removing barriers. Anything that's happening in the day, what are we hearing in real time? How are we engaging with our prospects and buyers? Is there big shifts that are happening? So, you know, the stand-ups, I really like to take that, take that time in the morning to get information from the team, understand what's going on, use that as a way to share it with the whole team because everybody's there. And then just like my little mental health checks, right? Have people explain what's going well, what's not going well, how they're feeling, you know, what they've got going on for the day, big wins, losses. So these little moments where we can kind of share and celebrate or promote best practices that we're doing within the team. I know best practice can be kind of a dirty word, but every company, every business unit should have their own little best practices that they do built within a framework. And then, yeah, so those one-on-ones are much more direct, right? When you get into those one-on-ones, now we're going through... 
depending on the week and depending on the need of the meeting, you know, we'll be doing what are your pipeline reviews? What's your forecast? What are your skill development areas we need to work on? How's your prospecting? What are those conversion rates? How's your discovery? What are those conversion rates? Where do we need to work? And then kind of moving down through the funnel that way, identifying these areas where we need to actually work on it. And then it's going in, listening to call recordings, coaching on those call recordings, doing, uh, you know, obviously looking at different type of role plays, scenarios, coaching, and then just kind of driving towards that critical thinking, right? So it's me asking a lot of questions, having the reps try to realize a lot of this on their own. So I just dumped a lot of information on you right now on how we do things, or at least how I try to do things. It's, it's similar to what I would do in person. I think, I think the intentionality being virtual is much more intense. And it's much more rigid because you don't have those one-off interactions that you would have in person. What's been the response from the sales team? Have they, you know, do they come out outside of this scheduled meetings to come to you for advice? I, I, you know, if you're next in a, if you're in a cubicle or you could walk down the office, obviously talk to your sales leadership, kind of get some quick advice. Is that communication open? Are they comfortable or? What's that process look like? Yeah. So what I've told my team is Slack me, text me, call me. Like that's the order of operations for me. Actually, I should say, really, I prefer for them to call me all the time, but sometimes Slack's just easier than I'll call. But I guess bottom line is I'm really accessible. And the team does a good job of reaching out to me because I, I said early on to everybody on my team, if I don't hear from you, I'm going to assume either everything's perfect or you're disengaged and you know what's going on. But in any event, I'm going to assume that you know what you're supposed to do if I don't hear from it. So I put it back on them. And I, this is something that I reinforce on a consistent basis. And it's something that the team's got better for is part of my job is to make sure that they succeed. And if they don't come to me for some reason, I'm not able to do my job. And if they don't succeed and they don't come seek my help, I'm going to assume it's all on them. And so it's, it's opening up that door to say, look, there's nothing bad. Like you can't come to me with something bad. There's nothing too small either. I don't care if all you need to know is about one word in an email. Come to me. Let me help you. And then once I do that right now, we can throw it in our sales playbook. If it's something that comes up on a recurring basis, it's something that you could have on your own. If we have you know, new value props, we can go and say, oh, hey, this is working really well for you. I'm happy you brought it to me. Why don't you share this with the team at our next standup? So it's really become for me about reinforcing my constant accessibility to the team. And then when they do come to me for help, making sure that I'm 100% focused, I'm dedicated to getting them that help they need and then reinforcing the good behaviors, the coaching behaviors and getting them to a place where they're comfortable. And I'm happy to say that we've, we've gotten there, which is awesome. Didn't start that way, but I'm happy we're there. Are there any coaches in the past or mentors that you've had in the past that have helped shape your leadership style? So I I've had great leaders that I've been very fortunate to have, but I think it's not just sales leaders, right? You know, I've had great coaches growing up playing sports who, you know, you can model certain aspects after. I have had good business leaders and mentors, both at company as I've worked for and 
you know, more recently, I think with the, was really the emergence of how popular sales blogs, LinkedIn, Twitter, online resources have become in the last 24 months, really. You know, I've been able to find resources and, and mentors and coaches and friends, you know, who are in a similar boat, all of the above. So it's, for me, I think you, you need to take a holistic view of things. Like if you get siloed and what happens if you get siloed into just sales all the time, it becomes very limiting when there's so much out in the world that's reflected in how we sell and how we lead and how we manage and not only who we want to be, but the things that we never want to do. Um, I, Cause I think those can be just as impactful as shaping. And yeah, I mean, I've had some, luckily I've never had bosses, but I've had some coworkers who I've seen do some things that I have never wanted to do. And I've said, I will never say these things. I will never reflect these things as a leader. And they've really come to, to shape a lot of who I am and still a work in progress though. And that's the thing, right? I think as long as you go in with an open mind, these new, well, let's call them methodologies, but really new tips, new tricks and ways that you can actually go formulate your own style, right? It's about aggregating this information and then finding what works best for you and pairing that with what works best for your people. And that is, you know, I think it's very difficult. It's very time consuming, but it is the most impactful. You mentioned gaining information from your peers and using things like social channels. I, I, I think of LinkedIn. So I, I did some research on you in the past and I noticed that you were quite active at one point. seems like you kind of took a step back, but what role does social selling play in your sales process today? Maybe not only for you, or how do you coach that for your team? So I think the biggest thing was social selling. And I was on Thursday night sales last night. So if anybody's listening to this, doesn't know about Thursday night sales, Scott Lease, Amy Volis, every Thursday, get on it. It's great. But social selling came up last night. And one of the things that was discussed, it was very similar to your question, right? How do I prospect on LinkedIn? or any social channel, right? Like we talk a lot about LinkedIn because there is a massive network on there. But for us in childcare, most of my buyers are on Facebook, not LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is a dead channel for me for the majority of my industry. So if I went to prospect on LinkedIn, it would be no good. Or if my team went to go do that on LinkedIn, it would be no good. So I think when you talk about social selling, and and this did come up, and I agree with it 100%, I cannot take credit for it, but Amy mentioned that part of social selling is making sure you're gathering information that allows you to be relevant. So it's not about, oh, let me sell you through LinkedIn because that's a social channel. And now it's social selling because I'm prospecting and sending the same shitty cold message on LinkedIn that I would do in an email or a voicemail. That is not social selling. It's connecting with someone on their social profiles where there's more personal or work or information presented there that will help you make a connection that's both relevant and considerate, right? So that's the other part of it is, are you considering what these people are saying? Are you hearing what their problems are or what their goals are? Are you agreeing? Are you disagreeing? Are you challenging? Are you fixing a problem? If these people, your buyers are active on these social channels, whether it's Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok, which I don't know anything about, but apparently I'm way behind the times and need to learn. It's 
how are you gaining information on somebody through a social channel to be relevant? And again, right? Like I'm regurgitating information right now that I agree with completely, but that's from Thursday night sales. And you know, that's, that's a community that if you're in sales, even if you're in marketing, you should join that. So that's my little, little plug for that community there. That sounds like, you know, finding them on relevant channels and having relevant conversations. And a lot of this, is important with the front end research. It makes me think of uh, buyer personas. What role do do buyer personas pay, play in your sales process, maybe in your marketing process as well? So I'm a big fan of buyer personas because I'm also a big fan of sellers being experts in who they're selling to. So when I think of a buyer persona, really what you're doing is you're saying, this is the characteristics, the traits, the jobs, the issues, and the goals of this type of profile that I'm selling to, right? So if somebody's selling to a VP of sales, they'll go out and say, here's what a VP of sales job is. Now it's not 100% perfect, but it's gonna be 80 to 90% accurate on, here's what a VP of sales does in this industry. Here's what they care about. Here's the risk that they have in their job. Here's the problems they have. Here's what they're trying to overcome. Here's what their status quo is. Here's what makes them buy. Here's what makes them not buy. So you're building out a persona. And because as you get higher and higher into enterprise sales, and now you've got to do these multi-threaded type of sales processes that last a long period of time, you know, you need to know how to engage each buyer. And then if even if you go into the mid-market, right? We know our mid-market buyers, they function like enterprise buyers in, in a lot in a lot of ways, but they have that lower ACV. So the mid-market is this sweet spot where it costs a little bit more to get going there because these companies do want the price breaks. There is a longer sales cycle. There are more buyers, but by knowing how to engage all of them, right, you can be really impactful in that process. And then in your SMB, right, there's generally a lot of high volume. So personas, you know, again, though, I think I'm talking about three different market segments, but the need for these personas doesn't change. So I think in terms of understanding the buyers, understanding the industry, understanding their problems, this then allows us as marketers to write copy, to do demand gen, to create content, to speak to people in, in their language about what they care about and about what's, again, relevant to them at a given period of time. And the same thing holds true for sales. How are we communicating to these people? Are we talking about our three biggest pain points and using that as a way to make an emotional connection with someone we're buying from that then takes them from, you know, hey, okay, I'm interested in this company. Now they're speaking my language. I'm engaging with this company, right? So now I'm going back and forth. And then, you know, you're interested, you're engaged. And then after that engagement, what are we doing as sellers or marketers or companies to take that engagement and convert that into someone who actually is willing and ready to buy, who has admitted, oh, man, I have this problem. Now I'm ready to do something about it. So for me, these buyer personas, they're very educational. They give you the framework that you need to know your industry. And it's step one of many and that's what you layer on top of these personas, right? Then there's a person, there's a George behind every one of these personas. So now go and do your social selling and find the relevant things about George that then take that persona, make it specific to an individual account. 
Yeah, we talk about sales utilizing these personas, and I think it's so important for sales and marketing to collaborate, which it sounds like you spearhead that at your organization because they are at the front line of these conversations. They're the ones that are talking to their ideal clients in real time. So being able to communicate that back to the team to not have static content, content to review what's working with you, with coaches, so that you could continue to produce sticky uh, sales collateral that helps convert at a higher clip, reviewing the pipeline. That's, that's a lot of what I'm hearing here. So I'm kind of curious, how has selling to your market changed over this past year due to COVID and how do you anticipate it to change over the, you know, the next year or so? So I think childcare, well, I shouldn't say I think, I know the childcare was heavily impacted through COVID and in a business that, you know, we've got buyers that are already asked to do a tremendous amount with their days. What we have seen is they've been asked to do even more with less. So how has buying changed? Well, what I will say is that the people who are ready to buy, their process has not changed, right? So, and what I mean by that is when you get someone into an active sales cycle, they still follow the same steps. We still sell them in the same manner, the same pain points, the same value prop, the same factors remain, right? Those things are there. Now, they've put some weight on things like online enrollment for us as as a bigger factor than it maybe was 18 months ago. But the way they engage with this is still the same. The biggest change has come from where do you lie as a priority and the actual shifts in the market itself. So childcare had a lot of closures. Now we're seeing a lot of acquisitions in the marketplace. And I think you've got a lot of people who staffing is a huge issue because of unemployment. And that's not unique to childcare. That's unique to every retail or services market. So how are you helping people find staff, right? How are we advocating for other areas of their business? And I'm not going to dig too deep into that. That's a little bit of our secret sauce that we're living right now. But I don't think too much has changed when people are actually engaging and in that buying motion. There is a little bit of a heightened price sensitivity, of course, because things were so bleak for so long. But the buzz is as alive as I've ever seen it. The industry trajectory is as good as I've ever seen it. Things are coming and they're coming in a big way. I always like to kind of put it the way that it feels is like, you know, you're at the faucet filling up a water balloon and it's just about to pop. And we're starting to see the first holes in that balloon. And that pop is a good thing. This isn't like water on your shirt. It's like, oh man, the floodgates are open. So it's everything changes and it changes on a constant basis. But the meat, the real true meat behind it, that has been for the most part pretty consistent. And the things that are changing in a big and meaningful way, well, those are just true business and industry trends. So uh, it falls to me and the team here to engage in a meaningful way with all aspects of their business, not just the parts of their business that we impact. And I think in that regard, we've, we've started to focus more on that and it's been a good thing. Mike, it sounds like the fundamentals and the value prop have you know, stayed the same, but being empathetic and relevant and helpful 
to your clients and to your prospects is fruitful and will continue to be fruitful. And I'm excited to, you know, for this year ahead of for you all in an emerging space. I'm, I'm wrapping it up here. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Any, you know, mantras or quotes you'd like to live by? Closing, closing so, remarks. Mantras or quotes is always a fun one. I had, you asked me about coaches earlier, mentors of mine earlier in our conversation today. And I had a football coach, my high school football coach, a guy named Cliff Walton. And he developed and grew a lot of boys through our football program. And he was a great role model. And one of the things that he said that I've carried with me since I was 14 years old, I, I write it down everywhere I go. It's on my goal sheets. It's near and dear to me. I say it all the time. And it's get better, or get worse. Every day, you have the opportunity to choose one. But you can't stay the same. Mm. And so I think that is that is something that I wake up with every single morning. And I have for 17 years. <laughs> get better or get worse, right? That's it. Four words. Complacency is a killer, man. Complacency is a killer. And I love the sports analogies too. I think that's instilled a lot of us with this teamwork environment and the, the leadership and succeeding and not for one's own success, but for an organization, which I could clearly see from you. So thank you, Mike. This is you know, the third episode of Forward Leadership, and it's been a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, awesome, George. Well, I appreciate you having me, and have a good one. You've been listening to Forward Leadership a podcast about sales excellence with your host, George Mustakelis, brought to you by Bonafide.